Stained glass, stained glass. That's, that's the name of our new fall semester theme here in OIC, stained glass. And what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say those words, right? When I mention or talk about stained glass. For many of us, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, is a church building, right? It's almost unavoidable for those of us who are gathered here at, at Hasle Hirke today. Uh, all, all you have to do is to look towards your right side and there it is, right? Stained glass, stained glass windows. Yeah. They are very much a common sight in church buildings throughout the world and uh, even though these particular stained glass windows that we have here at Hashle, they don't do that, but it is, it is very common that they will depict Christian symbols and stories from the Bible. Yeah. So you've probably seen them if you've been around. Windows with all these little bits of glasses of different colors coming together, making shapes, and often they're in the shapes of symbols or of stories as they decorate the churches. All those small pieces coming together to, to tell a story, to bear a message. Now, what is common to all stained glass windows, and also these ones here at Hasle, uh, is that they are not meant to be dark, right? They're not meant to be dark. They are meant to be shined through. It is only when light shines through them that their colors and the contrasts really come to life and are allowed to sort of spread their hues and their meaning into the space within them. And that is a space that is meant to be filled by people, right? By a community of faith that gathers and contemplates these stories and these meanings. If no light shines through them and there is no one to contemplate their shined through announcements, they are dead things. Now, there are many ways in which this becomes, our, becomes a metaphor for our life as a people searching for, living in, and struggling with faith, a community of faith. And we're going to explore this in different ways, but what we will do today is to start a four-Sunday series in which we will look at a letter from our Bibles, a book from our Bibles, the letter of 1 John, and we want to look at it as a stained glass window. We want to look a bit at what this letter looks like, what, how do different pieces uh, come together with different colors and what shapes they take and what stories they are telling and what symbols and meanings that they are trying to convey. But especially we want to ask what may happen when light shines through these shapes and forms. So we're going to talk a lot about 1 John for this next, this Sunday and three more. And John, 
John is all about contrasts. John is all about the light. I want to read with you from the first chapter of John from verses 1 to 7. And it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John is very fond of the metaphor of light. If you're familiar with the gospel according to John, you will recall how he begins to tell the story of Jesus. And it's very different from how the other gospel writers decide to start the story, right? John starts by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light. But before we go more into that, I want to tell you just a bit more about this letter of First John, because we're looking at we're looking at this story, right? We're looking at this this letter, and and First John is a is a quite peculiar book in in some senses, because unlike most of the other letters in the New Testament, um, it does not state the author or the recipients of the letter. So if you just read the letter. <laughs> Uh, without reading the title or anything like that. You don't know who it's written from or to. But it is quite well accepted throughout the story of the church that the author was John the Apostle. Probably writing through someone else, through a secretary, but that he's the, he's the person behind the letter, right? And this has to do uh, both with the language and the expressions in the letter, which are quite similar to, to John's own writings in the gospel, and we just saw an example of that. But it also has to do with, uh, with Christian tradition and church history, which has quite early allusions to the letter having been written by John. But who is John writing to? Who is John writing to? That's always important when we're talking about a letter, right? And the lack of a recipient may indicate that he is writing to several churches, which was a practice also back at the time, uh, so that he is concerned with laying some fundaments, some fundamentals that would apply to all of them. All at the same time, 
uh, he is dealing with the reality of the end of the first century. Right? So one question is, from whom, to whom, but also when, right? When? Uh, so he's dealing with the reality of the end of the first century. And this was a time in which the rise of false teachers uh, with influences from Gnosticism with, were throwing some of the churches into confusion. And the basic issues brought by these Gnostic false teachers, uh, as far as we can tell, they were a weakening of the message of the gospel with the centrality of Jesus being questioned in, in different ways. And that's one thing. So the centrality of Jesus being questioned in different ways and a weakening of the community. And this happening especially through a tendency for exclusivism, so a language of us and them, and a distorted relationship between faith and lived life. This is going to make a bit more sense as we go further on into what John is writing here. This is the background against John against which John writes, right? And John is concerned about keeping the core both of the gospel, but also very much of the gospel community faithful to the one who enables the gospel and the gospel community to exist in the first place. So he starts in the text that we have just uh, read by using very similar language and a very similar resource as he had done in the beginning of the gospel according to John when he was telling the story of Jesus. And what his fantastic play of words here, and, and John is great with the poetical expression, right? Uh, his fantastic play of words does, and what he's doing here is he's driving home a point. And that point is that the person of Jesus, the historical Jesus, as we sometimes have come to frame it, uh, but that the person of Jesus in time and history cannot be separated from the revelation of God in Jesus, from the message that he proclaimed from the gospel, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. For John, knowing the gospel, knowing the message, means knowing Jesus, means knowing Christ. The message and the person are inseparable. They were not just sharing knowledge, <laughs> they were sharing Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. And this is John's first direct jab at the Gnostic false teachers. Some of them very much influenced by Greek dualism. They were teaching the gospel as being pure knowledge, sort of disembodied knowledge, disembodied understanding. And some of them went so far then as to deny either Jesus' divinity or Jesus' humanity. So they would say either that Jesus was not human, 
was just purely divine and not human, and therefore he had come only as a revelation and not as an incarnation. And of course, the whole business on the cross then was little more than rhetoric symbolism. Or they would say that he was not really God, that, that, that the person, the human person of Jesus was not really God, that he had just been possessed by a spirit from God which left him before the cross because God cannot die. I'm, of course, I'm oversimplifying the, the whole scenario of Gnosticism in the first century, but just to give us a picture, right? Just to give us a picture of some of the main strands that are being worked with. John is saying that the word and the person, that is the message and the person, the divine and the human in Jesus were one and the same. They had seen him, they had walked with him, they had learned from him, and now they proclaimed him. Not just what he said, they proclaimed him. And at the same time as John is giving his sort of first punch at, at this current of Gnosticism, his second jab is mounting on and coming right away. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In the same way as the message and the person of Jesus are inseparable, so also faith in the incarnate revelation, the word of life, means fellowship with him, and fellowship with him means fellowship with each other. Fellowship with him means fellowship with each other. And this fellowship is at the same time a result of faith in the Son and a witness to our faith and to our belonging. And it is made possible by the same Jesus Christ and that which in him constitutes the core of the message. All of this is tied together in the same place and person. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we, have, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world world. Jesus is the light of the world. Knowing, knowing about the gospel, John is saying, is not the same thing as knowing the gospel. 
Knowing about the light is not the same thing as knowing the light. If we know the light, it has shined on us. It's not just knowing, it is feeling its warmth and what, what it does to our whole selves. If we know the light, it has shined on us. And if it has shined on us, we have seen ourselves and those around us and the world around us and ahead of us. And we have found ourselves to be broken, <laughs> to be sinners as the, as, as the Bible shapes it, right? And we have asked the light to cleanse us. And we walk with open eyes because we choose to walk in the light. And this is the second jab that John gives at the, at the false teachers. Because there were two common lines of, of Gnosticism emerging in the, in the end of the first century in regards to how what we know affects how we live. And both of these lines saw matter and spirit as separate. So, and the spirit was understood as pure and matter as inherently evil. So one line would say that you should deny everything that flesh asked for, which is just a word for, for everything that has to do with the matter asked for, because it was necessarily evil. And the other line said that whatever flesh asks for, give it, it doesn't really matter because everything that really matters happens in some sort of spiritual knowledge arena. Now, both of these tendencies of understanding, they failed to accept the incarnation of the, Christ, of, and of the grace and revelation of God and Jesus Christ, and both failed to build responsive fellowship living. They failed to build community. John is saying that just as the message and the person of Jesus, matter and spirit, acts and words, could not be separated, so also knowing the light could not be separated from living in the light in fellowship. The incarnation of the life of faith in the lived out reality of the community was to be a reflection and embodiment of the incarnated oneness of Christ himself, the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, what does this mean for this community of faith? What did this mean? that this was the light that they were to walk in. The light of the incarnate, resurrected, risen, and present Jesus Christ. And then we see why John and, and, and where John is coming at when he ties these things so deeply together. It meant forgiveness. It meant love. It meant reconciliation. It meant that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. 
It means that the gospel that we are told to understand needs to be understood in our bodies and the way they also love and express themselves. It means that to simply assent to the lordship of Christ rationally is not to know him. Because to know him is to love. Is to know love. To know him is to know oneself forgiven. And to know oneself forgiven is to not be able to walk away from the reality, the transforming reality of grace and forgiveness and what it does to our relationship to God and to each other. If we split that, we split Christ. That's what John is saying. And this is where it gets tricky. This is where it gets tricky. Because we can choose if we will look at this picture from a distance like tourists admiring a beautiful stained glass window in a church that means little more to us than a work of art, which is beautiful, wonderful, intricate maybe. We can appreciate, but it doesn't bear on us. Or we can ask, that the living light shines through this letter also on us. And what will that mean for our lived life of faith? What does it mean to keep the integrity of Christ in our lives? What does it mean the embodiment of grace and forgiveness and love in the reality of our bodies? That hate, that fear, that shiver, <laughs> that get angry. What does that mean to the reality of our community of faith? We need to start there, maybe. That the reason we stick together and choose to love and forgive is that this is the embodiment of the gospel in our lives and in our bodies. It's not the kind of text we read comfortably. No one who says they love God but hate their neighbor walks in the light. I like that he says walk. It's not static, right? It doesn't presume we get it all figured out. 
but we don't allow the gospel to get stuck in our heads and not change our hearts and our steps towards each other. And what does it mean beyond the community of faith? What does this kind of gospel that is embodied in our ability to love each other and to choose forgiveness in a world that too often chooses war, conflict, otherness, exclusion, that too often wants to talk about us and them rather than about how Christ brings together under his light. What does that mean for the historical witness of the church? How many times have we played this game? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in light. And John says that this is so integral to who Christ is. That we can't willingly walk away from it without turning our backs on what it means to know and be known by the living Christ. We can, I guess, continue to have a Christ of some sort, a Christianity of some sort. We can build buildings and buildings with wonderfully intricate stained glass windows. The light won't shine through them into living communities of love. And those communities won't make a difference in this world. What do we do with this window? Where do we stand? Where do we choose to sit? Where do we choose to cry? Where do we choose to repent? We want to sit in the light. We want to sit in the light. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And serve the Lord and serve the world joyfully.